long time. Uh, but there's a lot here. Uh, as we finish up Matthew chapter 7, we're actually ending what we've been looking at for the last six months or more. It's been more than six months. Last summer, we started the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have been just digging into this foundational sermon, this foundational teaching of the kingdom. And today we're going to be coming and wrapping all this up this week and next week. And Jesus is not mincing words again. He has profound teachings for us to hear and exactly what is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're able to stand, let's please stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and all great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Dear God, you have brought us here at this moment to hear directly from you. Your word is rich. Your word is true. And oftentimes your word is difficult for us to hear. And these are what, this is another one of these parables, these stories that Jesus teaches to, to show us a much more, much deeper truth of your kingdom and of, of the spiritual battles that we face. And dear God, right now, we need your help in understanding. We need your mercy in this moment where we are in our failings. We pray for your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would show us what it means to be a wise Christian, the one who builds on the rock. Far too many of us, even in this room, Father, are actually the foolish Christians, and we do not even recognize where we are. We're on the sand. And I pray, God, that you would use this time for your glory, that you would stir us to hear the truth, and that we would fall deeply in love with your Son, Jesus Christ, and that be our foundation. Let this time be for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Please have a seat. Timmy! God bless you, brother. Sorry to bring attention, but little Timmy, we've been praying for him for the last few weeks. Uh, welcome. We're glad that he could make it. Amen. As, you, uh, as, as the service is over, please go by and pat Timmy on the head and say that you love him. Amen. And he might let you sign his cast. He might let you. There you go. God bless you. We now come to this final illustration in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is the conclusion to this great teaching from our Savior. Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Those three chapters are really the foundation of the kingdom. Let's not forget exactly what Jesus is doing here as he's teaching here on the mountain. He is laying down the groundwork for what the kingdom of heaven is and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. We've been repeating that theme now for months and months and months and months. And now we come to the conclusion of his teaching following the previous weeks where we've looked at enter by the narrow gate uh, because the, the gate is narrow and the path is difficult, but oh, is it worth it? in contrast to the wide and easy gate that leads to destruction, and also the teaching of the false prophets who are in sheep's clothing. Remember uh, that you would know the false Christian, the false prophet, by uh, their fruits. And now we come, and even last week, where what Jesus is talking about in verses 21 through 23, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This final illustration here from Jesus on two men building two houses is continuing the same teaching here that we've looked at for the last three weeks. It's nothing new. It's not a, it's not a unique teaching. It's not some isolated story that Matthew has just plugged right here in this location. It is a continual thought in Jesus' teaching. 
These verses here, verses 24 through 27, they summarize the theme of the entire Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven. But it also wraps up what we've been looking at these last weeks about deception within the kingdom. Can we all agree that there are Christians in the church who are deceived? Sad to say, but it's true. There are also Christians in the church who are humble and firm. Verses 13 through 14, entering by the narrow gate versus the wide gate. We know exactly what that means. The Christian life is not easy. And Jesus does not hide the fact that to come into the kingdom of heaven means that it will be coming through a narrow gate. One that you may not even find on your own because it requires the shepherd pointing out, here's the gate, please. And he calls us into the kingdom through the narrow gate. And even the path of the Christian life is this narrow and difficult path. Anybody who's been a Christian for a long time, you understand what we mean here, amen? The Christian life is difficult. But those who claim these, these, these false prophets in verses 15 through 20 there, the false prophets have this message of grand, grandiose ease in the Christian life. God has it all laid out for you and the rest of your life is just glorious. Come into the wide gate and enter into pleasure and joy. And Jesus minces no words. He says, those are prophets who will lead you to a life of destruction and even an eternity of torment and destruction that is a false teaching. And so now we come to this passage. And so this warning that we're looking at today, this text here, verses 24 through 27 on the two men in the two houses, it applies directly to the warnings of the life of the Christian. And it shows us that there are two approaches to the kingdom, and these two approaches are side by side. I think that it would be safe to say that most people are familiar with this story about the man who builds his house on the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. I mean, if you've ever been to a vacation Bible school, you sung that song. Even those outside of the church, the secular thinkers, would be familiar with this story in some fashion. One man builds a house on the rock, the other man builds his house on the sand. And those with no church background, they're going to be aware of this. They've heard this same story in in many different forms. But unfortunately, the lesson that is taught by the non-believer, by the secular world, is not what Jesus is teaching here. Yet when you hear this passage taught in the churches, it is nothing more than a regurgitation of what the world says about this story. Jesus has something much more true here. The secular application of this story is about the strength and standing firm against the storms of life. And if that's all you take away from this passage, I think you've totally missed exactly what Jesus is teaching here. It's not a story about the storms of life. Because if that's the focus of the text, then we are the focus of the kingdom. That's the problem. There's something much deeper here than what Jesus is saying. Now, one could even go so far as to think of this story of the, of the house on the rock and the house on the sand and almost compare it to the story of the three little pigs. If you do so, you would also be mistaken. You have the wolf that comes and he goes to the house of straw and he says, uh, little pig, little pig, let me come in. And he blows the house down. But then he comes to the last house, the one of the, of the brick, and he can't get through. If you applied this passage that Jesus is teaching about to that story, that's even a further twisting of what Jesus is saying. I've heard it actually been compared. That's why I bring it up as an illustration. I think there's much something much deeper here. At the heart of this story is actually the genuine reconciliation of the sinner with the Father in heaven. How one approaches this offer of forgiveness and this new life in Christ is the lesson from this parable. The genuine Christian versus the false Christian, they're both portrayed here side by side in this last illustration from Jesus. The genuine Christian and the false Christian. The thing that carries through to this passage is the same thing that we've looked at for the last seven weeks. And it, it's, it's, the, it's the theme of the sermon. It's a warning about the danger of a lack of obedience. Obeying 
God's word, of being content with listening to the gospel, but not actually putting the gospel into practice. That's part of the danger we have here. Remember in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You could hear the gospel all day long. You could hear the gospel for your entire life and not one ounce of the truth penetrates your soul and not one ounce of the truth of the gospel is lived out and you may think that you're a Christian and be totally deceived. It's the theme of being deceived fully, believing that you are a genuine child of God, and because you only do lip service to the kingdom, because you are busy in the service to the kingdom, because you are busy even in the activities of the church, and even because you are busy even reading Scripture and studying great theology, you could be so far deceived from the truth of the gospel and not even know it. It's the danger of self-deception. That's the, that's the theme here. It's the danger of self-deception. Now remember the message that Jesus tells us in verses 22 through 23, right? Some will say on judgment day, Lord, Lord. Yet the king responds, depart from me. I never knew you. Let's look here at verse 24 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. One who hears the words of Jesus, but does them. Some will say on that day, Lord, Lord, but he won't know them. Now let's hear verse 26 as well. Jesus says this, if, number one in verse 24, if you hear the words of Jesus and you do them, you're like the man who built his house on the rock. But verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like what? A foolish man who builds his house on a sand, pile of sand. Two men, two houses. Y'all know anybody who's ever tried to build a house and they had no idea what they were doing? It didn't take long to show that they were they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> Yet, you could also have the experienced contractor who knows how to make a house look good and you do not know what's going on behind the scenes until about a year after the house is finished and then you start finding problems. Amen? Both times there is deceit. Now, when we look at this text, we have two men. We have, one, we have two men who want to build houses very similar yet very different. Let's look at some similarities. Number one, we could say that both of these men desired a house. Anybody like to live in a house? I think uh, I might think most people like to live in a house, <laughs> right? Now think about this. Both of these men desired a house. They desired a nice house. They wanted a place where their families would be safe. They wanted a place where they could live in ease and comfort. Very similar desires here. They both desired a home really in the same location. Because these houses, we get the implication here that these houses were built in close proximity to one another. We don't get the impression from here that these two houses were, were in different locations. This parable actually implies that these two houses were built close by. The men desired similar things. They wanted a nice house. These houses were built where one could enjoy the beauty of the kingdom. What better place could there be? If you thought about your dream house, where would that dream house be? Most of us would say it would be either like in the mountains with a beautiful view or on the ocean where you could have nice oceanfront or on a lake somewhere. Our, our, our dream home would be somewhere that is comfortable and beautiful. Same thing with our desire for the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and rightly so, the kingdom of heaven is the most beautiful place that we could ever be. And, and, and all people who hear the gospel, you could argue if they're listening to the gospel honestly, will be attracted to the kingdom of heaven because it is a joyful, beautiful place to be. And absolutely nothing wrong with that desire, is there? Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a, it's a great place to be. We could also say that, that these houses 
that these men were building. We, we get the impression that these houses really, there was no difference in what they looked like. These men built houses. The houses were perhaps, we could say maybe identical in design. Identical houses looked exactly the same. From the outside looking in, they looked identical in every way. Maybe, maybe even when you come into the home, perhaps they had the same level of warmth. Two houses, two men, but very different. One is built on a rock foundation, but the other one is built on a weak foundation of sand. What we see here is that the approach to building these two houses really reveals similar motives, but how they approached the building was very opposite. How they approached the construction and actually the intent of the house was building the houses were different. Let's take a look at a parallel passage. We've done this before. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 is, is very similar uh, in, John, in Luke chapter 6. Flip over to Luke chapter 6 because Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, especially this text, gives us just a little bit more detail as to how these foundations were put into place. Luke chapter 6 verses 46 through 49. This passage, it gives us deeper insight, I think, into the personalities of the two men. Let's look here at verse 46 of Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house. Look here at verse 48. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. What do we see here in this? We see that the house was clearly built near some water because when the flood waters came, this particular house stood. How? Look here in verse 48. The wise man, the one who does what Jesus commands, is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You see that? He describes the obedient believer as somebody who digs deep, digging, until they find a hard rock foundation. You don't see the firm foundation on the surface, you dig until you land on that hard rock foundation. A properly built house will actually require a foundation that is well prepared. If you're not spending a, a significant amount of time digging a good foundation, whatever you're constructing will not stand. It takes time. It takes effort to dig deep into the ground, to find solid footing upon rock. That, that, I mean, it takes preparation. Now look here at verse 49 of Luke chapter 6. He now describes the foolish believer, beginning in Luke 6, 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What is Jesus warning here? Number one, he warns believers to listen to him. But not just listen. Do. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to actually act upon what you hear. Make sense? The storm hits both houses. The, the, the waters rise, the flood waters come, and both houses face the same calamity. Yet one stands firm, one does not. Why? It has a lot to do with the preparation. Jesus describes the foolish believer as the one who hears the gospel but does not obey the gospel. Let that lay down. It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to obey it. How many Christians do we know who says, I went to a tent meeting when I was six years old with my grandmother and I went up and shook the preacher's hand because I heard the gospel? Well, hallelujah, you heard the gospel. But what have you done since? Nothing. Nothing. The one who hears the gospel but does not obey the word, who does not obey the commands of God, is the fool. Is the fool. 
Now, many people in the church will say, now, pastor, you can't say that. That's not very compassionate, and that's not very nice. I'm telling you right here and right now, without telling people how foolish they are, that is the danger. We must, it is the, it is the heart of compassion to tell the sinner, you are being a fool. It's also the heart of compassion to tell the Christian in the church, you're being a fool. We love you. You're not obeying the word. Let's come along beside you, and let's hold each other's hand. And let's weep if we need to weep. And let's sing joy when we need to sing joy. But we're in this together. We're not going to let you be a fool. You see the difference here? The the fool is the one who is impatient. Notice the difference in the approach to building the houses. The one who is obedient takes the time to dig deep to lay a foundation. The fool is impatient and doesn't have time to dig a foundation. And they just build right on top of the ground. The fool is one who, who does not take the time to think or to prepare for the important decisions of the project. The fool is the one who is lazy. Let that settle. How many lazy Christians we got? Anybody know what? See, lazy people don't want to admit because it's too difficult to raise their hand. The fool is one who will not put into in the, in the work necessary to learn about the building practices. If you do not know how to build a house, if you're a wise person, you're going to do a little education. You're going to do a little research. How do we build a house? The fool is one who is too prideful and too impatient to even learn how to build a house. We're just going to jump right into it and build. Boy, that's just a recipe for destruction. The fool is one who will decide for themselves how he feels. The fool is one who rushes into the kingdom of heaven based on how he feels rather than learning about the gospel and God preparing the heart for the life of the Christian. The fool is one who doesn't have time for that. The fool is one who has no time to prepare. The fool is the one who has no time to listen to the instructions. The fool is the one who has no time to listen to the architect. He wants this house now. Anybody ever done that? How many of us have ever rushed into decisions and then later regretted rushing into the decisions? Same thing here. The fool is the one who does not take the time to prepare the foundation of the house because they're impatient. They have all the answers. It's all about me and how I feel. The results of these two different houses, they seem similar. They come across the the, the end product. The houses look beautiful on the outside. The facades are the same. These two men who are seemingly the same, the end result reveals the truth of how they've constructed their respective houses. There are dangerous differences here between these two approaches and how we build the kingdom of heaven, how we live in the kingdom of heaven. You see where we're headed here? Let's look at some differences. The wise believer is genuine. The wise believer is the genuine Christian. That's what Jesus is speaking about here in this parable. The wise builder is the one who is a genuine Christian. This believer in Christ hears the gospel. This believer in Christ hears the commands of the Savior. And then fervently and obediently and and through humility does as the word commands. Amen. Yet this genuine believer, this this wise servant of the Lord, is cautious, goes slow, takes baby steps along the way because the foundation is being laid. The foundation of his house, the foundation of his Christian life is being laid by the Father in heaven himself, and the Father will take the time necessary to prepare us in obedience and in living the life of Christ. Amen? Now, some of us may get bored with that and get anxious about that. How many of the patriarchs of the Old Testament did that? Can we think about Abraham and Sarah? God was preparing Abraham and Sarah to be parents of the greatest nation on earth. 
Yet they didn't have the patience to allow God to do all that he needed to do and wanted to do to lay the foundation for that covenant that he was making. What was the result? We know that Sarah went to her servant, gave her servant girl to Abraham and said, here, have a child through her. We're getting too old for this. God's going to miss it. You see what happens there. But the obedient Christian, the genuine Christian, he takes the time to learn the gospel. He learns the truth of the gospel. He learns the truth of the kingdom of heaven. He weighs the consequences of obeying Christ and then proceeds at the appropriate pace. And one of the phrases that I've used here at Sovereign Grace, those who've been around from the very beginning, we have always taken baby steps here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church as we listen to God's direction and following His way. How many new churches start like a flash in the pan, and within three years, they're bankrupt and gone. Or the people of the church get frustrated with one another and frustrated with the the slow pace or whatever. It's not fast enough for us. God must not be with us, and then they dissipate. You see where we're going here? Here at Sovereign Grace, we have taken some time to lay some foundations. And I'm grateful for your patience, and I hope God has shown you what we're doing here, what He's doing here. He's laying some groundwork in us as a body. He's laying the groundwork here for the work he wants to be done. The genuine Christian is one who lives a life of obedience, who's content with patience. The genuine Christian is the one knowing that if the biblical foundation is not in place, then the spiritual house will fall. Now, in contrast, here's some other differences. The foolish believer is much different than the genuine believer. The foolish believer is the deceived believer. Okay? This believer, you could say that there's a phrase called the nominal Christian. In other words, that means they're Christian in name only. There's no foundation of Christ anywhere in their heart or in their lives. That's the nominal Christian. He hears the gospel, right? Verse 49 of Luke chapter 6 and then Matthew chapter 7 verse 26 And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice notice that, that the deceived believer hears the gospel, but he does not do as Christ commands. Just because we hear a gospel message does not mean we are a Christian. Just because we hear the gospel on the radio or on podcasts I don't listen to radio much anymore. It's all podcasts now. Just because we hear the gospel does not mean that we are part of the gospel. We've not been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are not made new simply because we've heard the message. The foolish believer, the deceived believer, is one that Jesus is Jesus is the builder, but, but the foolish person calls this builder of the house himself, not Christ. Jesus actually says here that the builder of the house is foolish who does not do the works, the word of God. He may hear it, but does not do it. He does not have the patience to learn the doctrine. I can't tell you how many times it just, it really harms my soul when I hear people say, we don't need doctrine. We just need the Bible. Well, that just contradicts one. That, those two phrases contradict one another. The Bible is, is doctrine. We need doctrine. Doctrine is the foundation of what is true. It's the gospel. Without the doctrine, without taking the time to learn the doctrine, how many quote-unquote Christians have no patience to learn doctrine? Far too many. The foolish Christian here, the deceived Christian, he does not have the fortitude to learn the hard truths of the gospel. They only want the surfacey, feel-good parts of the gospel. They actually take parts of the Bible and say, oh, now that's very nice. I like that. Oh, that's too hard. That's not what God means. How many of us have heard that before? He doesn't have the time to prepare his life for a service to the king. Instead, the fool rushes in with emotions. How many Christians have come to Christ under the deceit of emotion? And how long do they even stay part of the kingdom, if they ever were at all? The fool here, he rushes in with emotions and does not fully understand the commitment that he's making to Christ. He does not understand the commitment he's making in building a life with Christ. He has no idea of what Christ is doing 
to build a relationship with him. They have no time for that. Instead, he builds in his own way. He builds in his own manner. The foundations of his spiritual house is non-existent, but all oh, the house is beautiful. Now, there's the deceit. The, fa- the, the house of the foolish man is probably, you could argue, may even be the most beautiful house that you ever see. But the truth of the house is going to show itself very quickly. It may be a beautiful facade, but without much effort at all, the winds of the world, those things that come against the truth of the gospel, Satan himself, the the father of lies, will come against the truth of the gospel, and the foolish Christian will be the one who built a spiritual house that does not even understand the difference between the truth and the false. And the deceit of Satan that we see in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 will still continue to have power over the false Christian today. They'll be led by deceit. George MacDonald, uh, I mean, if, you don't, if you've never read any books by George MacDonald, he was a great, great Christian author whose work actually influenced much of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, that, that Christian fantasy. George MacDonald says this, A man's real belief is that which he lives by. What a man believes is the thing he does, not the thing he thinks. Let's make certain what it is that a nominal Christian may be. A nominal Christian, a Christian in name only, may be somebody who is the most intelligent Christian in the body. The nominal Christian, he may be the most intelligent Christian. He may have all of the theological answers, yet be a foolish Christian. Let's lay that down. Just because we have theology down, does not mean that we have the gospel down. The foolish Christian who builds a house on the sand, regardless of what this Christian thinks, is one who does what the heart defies. The heart of the foolish Christian does not believe genuinely that Jesus Christ is who he is and has done what he has done, and so the actions of this foolish Christian defines the heart's. What we do see in this prayer, what do we see here? Look at verses Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 again. What do we see in this parable? We see two men who build two houses. Now, both have knowledge. One is humble enough to take the time necessary to plan for, to dig deep, to study how to build the strongest spiritual house. There is humility in this approach and in his maintenance of the house. He's humble. He's taken time to learn. This house that the humble Christian builds is the house that God builds in him and it stands firm on a deep foundation and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the construction that is taken very careful approach to building. The construction is careful and calculated and precise. The genuine soul of this humble Christian is careful and solid. But one of these two men is reckless. One of these two men is arrogant. His house was rushed. He didn't take the time to build a deep foundation. He did not find it necessary, perhaps even to consult an architect. I know what I'm doing. I'll just do it myself. He built on a whim, depending on his own limited knowledge. His own pride was enough to build the house. How many Christians have approached the faith with that approach. My pride, my feeling is enough. I'm going to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Please come. But let's prepare your heart too. Let's teach you the foundations of the faith. Let's teach you the truth of the gospel. Take some time to be humble enough to learn as well. The foolish Christian has a house that is constructed on a weak foundation or no foundation at all. The soul of this Christian is not genuine. The soul of the nominal Christian is deceived and actually shaky. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. You see, true faith actually shows itself. It shows itself in the person in general who that 
personality is, who that person is. Uh, their faith will show through their, their, their very being. I mean, what they say, how they feel, how they present themselves. And it also shows itself in what the person does. Now, two aspects of faith here is what we see, both in the person and what he does. Remember, there's two steps here. How do we see someone's faith? Number one, we see it through the person's personality. The other part is what the person does. It's both and. Because actions come directly from the heart. Just like words come directly from the thoughts. Anyone who insults you and then immediately turns around and says, well, I didn't mean it. Yeah, you did. If you said it, you were thinking it. Whether you were conscious of the thought or not, you said it. It's there somewhere. Perhaps by saying it, it now reveals what you truly thought. Notice here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, how did Jesus begin this Sermon on the Mount? Remember when we started this? Was it last spring that we started this, or was it last summer? June? I can't remember. I've slept since then. Sometime around June, we started this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, this is how Jesus begins the sermon. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the very beginning of this teaching. If you, if you feel like God is calling you into the kingdom of heaven, but your spirit is arrogant and prideful, God's going to be doing some humbling on you before you actually come into the kingdom or as the process goes along. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the poor in spirit is the one who does not have enough pride to build their own spiritual house. The poor in spirit have no resources to build a house with. They depend on the the architect, the master builder, Jesus himself. The poor in spirit are the ones who inherit the kingdom. But the deceived Christian, the foolish builder, this nominal Christian, he's the one who has a rich spirit, a prideful spirit, and there's nothing more that he needs. So he definitely doesn't need Christ. You see the difference? So the action of this nominal Christian is going to reveal itself in time as weak as shifting the way sand shifts. If you've begun your, quote, Christian life through an arrogant, I don't need anything, I would say that right there, you've missed the point. You all, all you, I mean, you fully need Jesus. You don't need yourself at all. It's, it's the foolish builder who says, I don't need anything because I've got all the answers. I feel great. Well, right there's the danger. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The wise builder, the genuine Christian is the one who begins this Christian life poor in spirit, with nothing. And it's the Holy Spirit that will reveal that in us. It's the Holy Spirit that will actually show us the desperate need we have for a Savior. That's the beginning of the kingdom. A foolish Christian will reject the teaching of this Sermon on the Mount. You want to know another example here? This is part of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. The wise Builder of the house, the one who hears the word of Christ and does them is one who is poor in spirit and actually takes the time to learn and accept the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and actually sees everything that Jesus has taught here from chapters 5, 6, and 7 as foundational for the gospel. They're going to take the time to listen, to study, to apply, and not be offended by what Jesus has to say. But now the foolish builder, the nominal Christian, is actually going to look at the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, yeah, it's okay about divorce, but that's not really what he meant. It's okay about being angry, but there's times where you have to be angry. There's times that it's okay to be poor, but, you know, Jesus really doesn't want you to be poor. He really wants you to be rich. You see, it, it, it's the nominal Christian, it's, it's the false Christian who takes the words of Christ here and says, well, that's okay, but. It's the wise Christian 
that looks at the words of Jesus and says, wow, I've been missing it. This is rich. You see the difference here? Remember what Jesus said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The wise man knows that the foundation that he digs is not sufficient. The wise man knows that the foundation that he's digging is something that Christ is going to have to dig with him and for him. The wise man understands the frailty of his own efforts and submits to the great authority and the sovereignty of the Lord. He submits to the Father in heaven. He submits to the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the wise man. It's the foolish man who looks at this and says, that's too hard. The Apostle John, I'm going to close with this text. The Apostle John gives us greater understanding here. If you want to flip over to 1 John, we're going to close with this text. Actually, two passages in 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle, 1 John. He helps us understand here what it means to love the Lord and to keep His commandments as evidence of the wise Christian. Here's what he says in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. I hear pages rustling. Amen. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. I'm going to stop right there. I've had conversations with some in this church in private, and the conversations are this. I don't know if I'm really a Christian. Am I obeying the Lord? Am I obeying the gospel? And pastors, uh, we, we have these conversations often with folks because there are times of our spiritual life where, you know, there may be doubt. And that's part of the living the Christian life. Doubt is part of it. And God's not afraid of it. Amen. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that's kind of like living in a house, isn't it? Abiding and dwelling. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus Christ, walked. That's a good evidence that you are in the faith. See, a loving God causes us to love his commandments. This is not something we can do on our own. If you've ever tried to love God's word, and if you've ever tried to keep the commandments on your own, how successful have you been? If we're honest with ourselves, we're failures. And so a loving God helps us. He causes us to love His commandments. He causes us to love His Word. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of the Word. When we come into Christ, when we come into the faith, when Christ has made us new, transformed us into His likeness, there's something about the Holy Spirit present in us that gives us insight into the Word that we say, oh, I didn't see that before. I've heard that testimony hundreds of times. When I was a pagan, I didn't understand any of the Bible. It didn't make any sense to me. But oh, when Jesus transformed me and changed me, oh, it was so... The words became rich. See, loving God and loving His commandments is a genuine sign of the genuine Christian. The foundation that we're talking about here is the love of Christ. It is the love of the Father. That love of the genuine wise, the wise Christian depends upon this love of Christ, this love of the Father. The genuine Christian is dependent on this. The foundation is the one that God establishes. And the wise Christian will build upon this foundation, not his own. It's the foolish Christian who builds on his or her own foundation. It's the wise Christian who builds on the foundation of God and his word. Now let's close with this last reading, 1 John chapter 5. Here's where we get this. 1 John chapter 5. This will be the last text. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice, notice it doesn't say everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has saved themselves. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. Let's make sure we don't miss the point here. As Jesus is finishing his Sermon on the Mount, he gives dire warnings from Chapter 7, verse 13, about the narrow gate and the wide gate. Verse 15 through 20, about the false prophets and the false fruit. Uh, even following that, verses 21 through 23, being aware of a false sense of security, self-serving righteousness, and the Father just looks at you and says, I don't even know who you are. All the way to this final teaching here of building on the rock versus building on the sand. Brothers and sisters, let me just close with this charge. I am not a pastor who wants everyone to question their salvation. That can be a dangerous path too. But it's also very important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to always ensure that our spiritual house is on the right foundation. If our spiritual house is something that we've built in a rush on top of the ground without any preparation, without any security other than our own, it won't take long for the truth to show itself. <laughs> and when the floodwaters of the world that opposes the gospel comes against that spiritual house, what's going to happen to it? It's going to collapse. According to Jesus' words, it had a, it was, and great was its fall. Not just, oh, it slipped on its foundation. <laughs> great was its fall. It, it, it saddens me over the years that as a pastor, I have baptized several people. A lot of them aren't in the church anymore. I mean, what do you do? I mean, they're, they're com I mean, you, you discern with them, you talk with them, you educate them, you pray with them, you show them the truth of what decisions that they're trying to make. And, and, and that's the point. When the, when, when the entry into the salvation process is my decision, you're building your house on the sand. But if entry into the kingdom of heaven is based on what God is doing in your life, is he calling you to repentance? Hallelujah. Are you submitting to that, that shifting of your soul? <laughs> the, the genuine Christians, the, the, the Christians that I've known over the years who have the richest testimony are the ones who begin with, I was and I still am the worst sinner there is, but oh dear God, he sifts my soul. Where are we? Individually, where is your relationship with the Lord? What, what, are, what are the words of Christ telling you? Are, are you part of the kingdom? Hallelujah. What's your status in the kingdom? Are you the fool who's building a spiritual house on your, under your own power and your own wisdom? You want nothing to do with Bible study? <laughs> you want nothing to do with learning the truths of the gospel? Or are you one of those Christians who says, you know what, I am so frail and I'm actually so ignorant of the gospel. I crave to know more. And I come to the Father often and I depend on His strength and I depend on His wisdom and I depend on Him fully. How are we as a church? You realize we've been a church uh, going on four years-ish. This church started in a very organic way. I can't really pinpoint exactly when we started. It was just kind of this thing that just kind of God just threw together. Where are we as a church body? Are we building this, this work here of our own power and our own desires or are we fully dependent on the foundation of Jesus Christ that God Himself builds?
Are we dependent every single day as, as this spiritual house is being constructed? Are we dependent on the, on the architect and the master builder? Or are we dependent on ourselves? Christians who want nothing to do with laying the foundation the hard way are Christians that really we can't depend on because they're in name only. They're not genuine. They're not wise. Jesus uses the words, they're fools. I'm sorry to say it. We can say it in loving, we can say that lovingly, but we're just repeating what Jesus says. But if we are, if we look at ourselves as we're the wise Christians, we're deceiving ourselves, and we're probably the fools too. <laughs> Amen. I want to challenge you as we close this time together. Is your spiritual house built on the gospel? Is your spiritual house built on something of your own making? Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you and we praise you. Dear Lord, the words of your son Jesus are so profound. The words of your son Jesus are rich. Teach us, dear God, what it means to build the spiritual house, the house that you are building, this kingdom of heaven, dear God, that you are constructing. Help us to see our role in that construction, but knowing that you're the one who's building. (laughs) Cause us to depend on your foundation alone. Correct us, Father, lovingly when we fail you. Correct us, Father, if we have laid a foundation on top of the ground without the hard work that you bring us through to build strong. Use this time, Father, as we close to do the work that you need to do in each and every one of us. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.